I'm your host Chris, and here we'll be delving into a multitude of strange occurrences that happen within Scotland and beyond. You can contact us with your own accounts at the Scottish Paranormal Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all social media channels, and you can contact us by either means. If you like what you hear and see, and you want to help us grow, please follow, share, and subscribe. We'd just like to get right into it now, and we'll welcome our next guest into the show. Tonight's episode, I'd like to invite Dan Warren to the show. Um, Dan's a self-proclaimed UFO fanatic um, on UFO Twitter and uh, a bit of a sensation over the, the last wee while in regards to his uh, short, sharp, very concise, um, sometimes witty videos on YouTube concerning the, the UAP UFO topic in regards to what's happening in Congress and basically what's been happening up to date and stuff like that. So, um, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. How are you tonight? Uh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I'm doing pretty good. And I actually prefer the term UFO nerd because that makes me feel like I'm amongst my people. Yeah, good. <laughs> I do. I do. So, I mean, I know we kind of chatted a wee bit online and stuff. Um, I was kind of thinking of in regards to watching your videos as well, right? But in regards to um, the UAP UFO topic, I still call them UFOs as well, by the way. <laughs> me so, too. People have jumped into UAP, but it's the same thing. Anyway, so UFO topic, how do you, I mean, in regards to, as a, as a question, I mean, for myself, right, and just out there, if you're trying to um, convince somebody that the UFO topic is real, right, um, apart from what's been happening recently for 2017, right, in regards to what's happened in the US with Congress, I know in the UK, for example, they're, they're still um, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, right? And and our <laughs> and our government, they don't actually talk about it at all. Um, so it's good what's happening in the US. But what what I was kind of thinking about up until like maybe two thousand seventeen, right, or even like what's happening now, if you were going to try and convince somebody that UFOs are real, um, it's a really really hard task, right? It's a hard hard task because where, you going to, where are you going to start, right? Where are you going to start? Are you going to go back to the 70, 80, 90 years uh, UFO documentation, witness testimony, everything that's there and try and convince somebody. And they're just probably think you're crazy, right? Um, it's hard to do that. Um, so it was a thing that came across recently. I was I was talking to a work colleague and it was just after the David Gersh um, interview came out. And because we watched this, this type of phenomenon, we watched everything that's happened for the news, um, sometimes it doesn't even break into mainstream news. It kind of spills in and out, these snippets here, um, and goes away again, then comes back again. But it doesn't really hold that long in mainstream news that long. Some of the um, activities happen within, within like 2017, 2017 up to today. So the David Gush thing was out. It was recently, um, 
that came out, and a contractor mentioned that. And I, I don't outwardly just kind of talk about UFOs to anybody because some people aren't into it. I mean, my friends know I'm kind of into it and my family and, and things like that. But conversation-wise, um, you don't bring it up in every single day conversation um, because you know some people aren't into it. So the contractor had brought it up first about the David Gersh interview. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know about that. And sitting talking about it. And my work colleague was there. And he was like, what's that? What is this? So we were trying to explain it to him. And I found out this this contractor who um, kind of works ways and stuff like that, he was um, right into it as much as I was. So we were kind of talking at the same time. It was like how interested was it? He knew as much as like I was interested in it. And at the same time, so we turned this on my work colleague and trying to convince him, but we're trying to convince him. Uh, so the way we were just talking to him was just mainly the stuff, what's kind of provable now in regards to 2017 to present and trying to give him a rundown of that. And I kind of thought it'd be a good thing to try and get that into a concise rendition of what's kind of happened between 2017 to, to present in regards to what's maybe even happened in Congress in the US because that's kind of provable now what's happening and they're looking at something. I mean, although there's there's no evidence really came out yet, um, but they're, they're looking at something. They, we know there's something there. So um, it was funny. I came away from that conversation and I kind of thought, totally lost him. He'll, he'll not look at the subject at all. I mean, with a look in his face and it just was, I kind of came away thinking with the conversation, this is good. This is harder than I thought. It's going to be harder than I thought to actually convince the public and convince people. And um, he then messaged me and, and like two days later and says, can you email me some documentaries that would kind of, um, so I can maybe get me up to knowledge of it and stuff. So interesting enough, I did, I sent up a few documentaries, links and stuff like that. So that was the kind of idea. So that's when I, I came to say, I was like, who could I get to talk to? Or who could come on and maybe talk about um, a kind of rendition? Just maybe what's happened in that. And I kind of thought of yourself straight away, mainly for your short, sharp, concise videos that I spoke about. Um, and you follow it quite along. So I kind of thought it'd be good to maybe hear a rendition of maybe where it's came from in regards to 2017. Maybe there's a wee bit prior to that, um, going through <clears> Congress and then up to present, um, and we can maybe get a chat along the way and stuff like that. I don't know if that's that sound okay. Yeah, I've, I've got a few notes. I didn't make copious amounts of notes, but I do have a, the order of things that have kind of happened since 2017 that we can cover. And I okay. fully understand what you're saying as far as if, if we speak a different language when it's someone that's deep into this, um, the research of the UFO topic. I like to compare it to music. Every human on earth can talk about music, but a master musician cannot talk to me about his his relationship with music. It's totally different than mine. I'm tone deaf. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. So I can say I like Mary Had a Little Lamb, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That's good music. And they had like a, a two master musicians talking together. I'm not going to understand what they're talking about. And I feel like that's what happens when you have someone that is a just getting into the UFO topic and you try to explain to them with the vast amount of detail and knowledge that you have available <laughs> at your disposal, it's overwhelming. And so I always tell people, the learning curve on the UFO topic is enormous. It's very steep. You can't eat the whole elephant at one time. You have to take small bites to get it done. And so that's what I intend to do with my videos is just provide little packets of data about the UFO topic in this short, concise form so that you don't have to invest 
three hours listening to an in-depth podcast about a very nuanced subject that's not going to be very unrelatable to someone that doesn't have all that background knowledge associated with it. So I try to make my videos short, concise, and reference the other object, other aspects of the phenomenon and the history in them so that people kind of understand the context of the information that I am presenting so they can see the significance of what was just said. The, Mari, the Marco Rubio comments that were made just yesterday or the day before are going to be lost on most people unless you knew what Grush had said previously, unless you knew about the crash retrieval article that the, the, the brief put out, unless you knew about Eric Davis's yeah. claims of off-world vehicles in the past. So it's like all this information that makes his comment significant to us does not reach the common man that's, that's blind to this. So that's that's an obstacle you have to overcome. Um, I have a similar experience to what you've described. I went to the chiropractor, and I, I I don't know how I brought it up in conversation, but we started talking about it. This was before I was making videos and before I was doing any content creation, and I started to realize like every time I tell him one piece of information, I have to go back in history and color the picture with three other significant events that led up to that event and why it's so impactful so it's like you can't go forward without taking three steps back so it yeah. does get very difficult to explain it to someone that's new but when you do find a, a fellow ufo nerd that you can relate to and have that conversation with in depth it's just such a free-flowing great time i love it it's, it's great Totally, a good analogy to start off with as well. I mean, but it is definitely like speaking the same language, albeit music or whatever. Um, I'm tone deaf as well when it comes to music, but um, it's it is a funny one. And um, although we're here the now going through Congress and what's been happening, these this type of thing has happened before, and it's happened several times before, um, in the past. Well, maybe not as in depth as it's happening now, um, but it has happened in the past. But we, I think now it sees a. It looks like a clear bit of movement, in, in what's happening. Hopefully, uh, I'm not yeah. going to use. I'm not going to use the analogy of toothpaste back in the tube because it's overused. I'm going to use put the beer back in the can. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Cause I'm a Scotsman and I'll probably drink the beer. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing one thing I like to tell people is that there is a difference between what's happening now and the iterations of this that have happened in the past. Like you've referenced them just now. The, the, we've had UFO hearings before. We've had people pushing for disclosure before. It, yeah. it obviously didn't work. So it's, but it is different this time due to social media, due to the internet. It's a powerful tool in our toolbox to be able to utilize to, to go, to move forward. So I think if we have to describe the past occurrences of the push for disclosure, there were a few guys with swords that were trying to poke holes in the government to get this information to leak out. But what we have in the current situation with social media, with the army of people in, on UFO Twitter that are loud and proud about trying to get disclosure where the government is suffering death by a thousand cuts. So instead of one big uh, kill shot, it's just getting poked and prodded constantly from all directions. And, and that's what's different about this time around. The, the memory on the internet is forever. Things that have said are captured now. They can't be forgotten as easily as it was in the past. So I think we're in a different world because of the internet. That's, I mean, in, in the past, you might find some of the information maybe in one book or two books 
which uh, just disappear into history. Apart from they'll probably be sitting on our shelves, but um, <laughs> they disappear into history. And that's now you're you're right in what you say. You know what I mean? Good analogy in regards to social media is a good aspect here, uh, and it is helping. Um, so hopefully we get a, a good bit of traction before we kind of move into some of the accounts. What what um, what took you to the subject first? Um, we were discussing it earlier that, that your experience with it, and I have a I share a similar experience. I I've been into it, and then I've stepped away. I, I've I've kind of had an ebb and flow with my interest and dedication to the UFO topic because prior to 2017 you felt alone. You felt like you could be wasting all of your time. You felt like, am I doing this all for nothing? Like I'm obsessing over thinking about this subject, researching this subject. Am I a fool? Like there, that question was always in the back of your mind pre 2017. So there were times when I was like, I've got to be wrong about it. We've got to be all alone. This is all it is. I'm wasting my time. I'm going to go play basketball or, or, or whatever it was. So I had, interest that would wane at times and but it would always come back but it really started out in childhood so one thing that kept me awake more nights than anything else was trying to wrap my head around the concept of infinity because there is in my understanding an infinite amount of space like i can't see the end of it i don't and even if you get to the edge of the expanding universe what's it expanding into there's something out there that it, that's making room for it so that's an infinite amount of space and then when you think about time there's an infinite amount of time and so you start thinking about how grand grand the world that we live in our reality is to just then turn around and say but we're the only intelligent life in this entire thing makes you go can't be can't be infinity is too great it's got to be something out there and if they can be advanced enough they can find a way to to do amazing things including figure out how to travel distances that we can't currently comprehend and so so infinity is really what brought me into the ufo subject because if you leave the earth everything else is an extraterrestrial to us yeah Totally, totally. Did you, when you um, looked at the subject before and you'd probably read the books, watched documentaries, things like that, researched it yourself um, because you're interested in the past, um, was there in the past potentially a percentage of belief that you had and then did that change past 2017 or maybe even 2017 and slightly past that as well like we multiple different interviews with people like Lula Zondo coming on and things like that and did you ever get any kind of moments where you thought like you went from let's say 80% belief to like 110 thinking this is real man it's hard for me to say the word belief um I think that there's some there's something to this phenomenon I suspect that there is it's hard for me to say that I believe yeah. Uh, or, or quantify my belief in something like that. So I'm going to put myself right at the 50% mark for most of my life mm-hmm. um, with probably peaks up to 80 and it drops down to zero. Every uh, It probably drops, it probably raises to 100% at times and drops to zero at times, to be frank about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what causes that to pop up in my mind is the thoughts that are in my mind. I mean, I don't need Lou Elizondo or those people. Those people are confirming what yeah. you and I think about. 
the, the, I don't feel like it's a stretch of the imagination to be a human on an island a thousand years ago and look across the sea and be like, I bet there's other people across the sea. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them. I can't be the only one. This is a, a crazy place. So I, I think, but then when the ship showed up, that was confirmation to them. And that's what we're looking for is confirmation. We believe that there, that we can't be alone. What the other form of our company is, is the big question. Um, but for, for the most part, I don't have a specific case or one event that I could say, this makes me believe that this is a real phenomenon. I always refer to what Eric Weinstein has said recently, where it's not the, um, my dog just came to visit me. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not the overwhelming amount of, it's not the small amount of direct evidence that convinced him that there's something to this. It's the a monumental amount of indirect evidence that is just overwhelmingly convincing that there is something to this. So we don't have that direct evidence that we want right now, mm-hmm. but we just have copious amounts of indirect evidence. So that's what leads me to quest to find more and be in the front seat for this story as it unfolds. What can a dog give you go? I got a Boston Terrier. Oh. And her name is Lucy Pig. Oh, cool. <laughs> I've got a she, husky. I've got a husky. She's um, about somewhere. I think she's away, away with my wife, sleeping now. <laughs> blue, is she blue-eyed? Yeah, are, she is. Are yeah. all she's actually, blue eyes? No, she's actually, um, she's three-quarters husky. A quarter, uh, she's three-quarters Siberian husky, a quarter German shepherd. But she looks like a husky. Could be, I mean, a slightly longer snout, but um, blue eyes, beautiful dog. Um, but uh, yeah, she's she just follows me about everywhere. But she's actually with my wife now. She's went straight away to bed. So, <laughs> but yeah, cool. Right. So, listen. So, if you want to kind of kick off, we could kind of run through some of the um events that started in regards to if there's anybody new coming to the subject and stuff. So it means that they could come into this. Even people who are into the paranormal field. I mean, I cover a lot of different things paranormal, and some people might not be into UAPs or UFOs. They might like a certain part of the paranormal. I mean, in the paranormal, my aspect there, mine just mark any liking or a warm mostly is like UFOs and stuff. Um, but in regards to, I cover a lot of aspects of it in the podcast because uh, it links into a lot of uh, other um, aspects of the paranormal. I mean, so, um, so yeah, so the people who maybe are in the other parts of it, it might not be following this as much. And it is, even though like I follow this, it's hard to keep track of. Because uh, yes. it's it's so hard to keep track of it. As you said there, when um, Timber Shepherd made a comment the other day there, unless you've watched this, 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 and this, and these things to watch this, this, that you need to actually know where to go and find it. You can actually, a lot of this, a lot of these different snippets and a lot of these different bits of information aren't they just coming through Sky News or CNN or and, and on every, every news run it comes on. I mean, so you need to actually... No when the hearing is, so you can watch the hearing online, or like yourself, go to the hearing and and, and watch the hearing or the briefing, or um, watch a certain podcast or read a certain um, outlet that's actually put this out there because you know what it's coming out from. So it's 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 a hard one, and that and not to get there. And then obviously the timescales this has went on now, and the amount of different reports that's been offices that started different task forces <laughs> and it's a, the amount of different acronyms as well. I mean, so there's 
there's a lot of that to kind of get through, which is quite hard for anybody new coming to the subject, but even somebody following the subject, um, try to go back and remember some of it as well. I was, I was looking earlier, I was just like, God, I forgot about that, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So you want to kick off with some, and then we can kind of run through that if you want. Well, I'll, I'll kick off, but I'll say to anybody watching, I'm on TikTok, I'm Fifth Pillar of Emphasis, and the videos that I make are these small data packages of events that occurred. So if you don't know what happened, you can go through the 400 plus videos I have and you can find that moment in UFO history and you can get my response to it in the real in at that moment, along with the context that led up to that event that made it significant. And it's also helpful for me to kind of be able to go back to and reference because I don't have to remember like what was the name of that article or what was the name of that podcast where he said X, Y, or Z. So it's it's in my Twitter account or my TikTok account. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram under fifth pillar of emphasis or on Instagram is fifth pillar of emphasis on Twitter. It's, Hey, look over there. Look is spelled L U K. Um, but you can find most of what I'm about to tell you on there because I was able to document this as it was being released to the media. And you can see what was going on at that time, but I'll just basically start off by saying, hold on one second. Hey. Um, the, Catalyst, I think, that kind of kicked off the current events that are unfolding before our eyes started with Tom DeLong, Blink-182 singer. That is something that, I mean, it's it's shocking to think, to look at that guy and think that he had such an influence on where we are today, but it seems to be the, the cards are being shown and he's holding a bunch of them. So he started having conversations in probably 2015, 2016 with some high level government officials who started to say, hey, you need to go talk to this guy over there and that guy over there. And he started kind of getting connections and, and BSing his way into higher levels of knowledge and information of how the machine works to, to keep the UFO cover up going. And he started getting introduced to people like Lou Elizondo behind the scenes, Chris Mellon. Come 2016, his emails leaked, and it, or John Podesta's emails leaked, actually, who was a uh, advisor for Hillary Clinton. And it turned out that Podesta was in talks with DeLong to start discussing UFO disclosure processes going forward. Hmm. That shut everything down for a little bit. And then in 2017, in October, the two, the Stars Academy had their opening press conference to establish who they were. And that's where we met for the first time, Lou Elizondo, who said, I ran the government's UFO investigation program and we are not alone. We also met some other key players like Chris Mellon. Um, to me, Steve Justice was a, was a big win for me to be involved with TTSA for the sheer fact that he's an engineer, I'm an engineer. Yeah, He's at the top of his game. For him to leave the Lockheed Skunk Works yeah. and begin to be associated with this to the Stars Academy, it it was a lot, it meant a lot to me. It meant more to me then than it than Lou did or Chris did because I don't understand government bureaucracy. Yeah. I didn't understand the significance of their positions <clears throat> at the time. But to be able to say the head of Lockheed Skunk Works is jumping on board was was a big win in, for TTSA. Yeah. So that was in October. And then in December, on December 
16th, 2017, the New York Times published the Black Auras and oh man, I'm forgetting the name of the article. Can you help me out? Black, glowing Black auras, auras and, and secret government programs. Is it not that? It, it, it was glowing auras and black programs or something along those lines. I'm embarrassed that I don't know. But the names that you need to know are uh, Ralph Blumenthal, Leslie King, and Helene Cooper. Those are the three authors of that article. And that article put Lou Elizondo from, hey, I'm on Two Stars Academy to a different level. It shot him into the stratosphere as far as respectability goes, because then he was vetted by the New York Times. Uh, Harry Reid was speaking up on his behalf. So a lot more information started coming out at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the tipping point, in my opinion, for what we're the, the momentum that's continues to build. And a lot of it also has to do with the videos that were attached to that article. And that was going to be the tic-tac video, which is called clear one and the gimbal video that everybody, that, that's mine. That's the one for me. I, I like the gimbal video. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave, David Fravor came out who actually saw the tic-tac and was discussed in it. So it just started the discussion in a, very credible, respectable manner that had been lacking from the discussion in the past. Yeah. Nothing against like Stan Freeman, Richard Dolan, or folks that were doing it at that time, but they didn't have, but they were into the subject trying to bring it out. These were people that were not so much into the subject, but found out about it and were like, we got to do something. We got to be involved. We got to do this for the American people, but more importantly for humanity. Like that's, in my opinion, the significance of that group is they realized the significance and were willing to retire or quit their jobs, leave that security, and venture out into this whole new world. I could always remember when um, it's it's funny when you talk to people about it and you mention Tom DeLong and that they don't know the subject and they don't know the UFO history and they don't know Tom DeLong's history. And the, the look they'll give you is like, Tom DeLong, blank, blank money too, what? But um, but the, so Tom Tom started the Two Stars Academy, which was to um promote it and do more kind of marketing and bring it to the forefront through films, documentary, things like that, to try and actually have a an outward process of getting disclosure out rather than the government doing. It. That's what he was trying to promote and, and go with that in a in a kind of general sense. I could always remember Tom DeLong on Joe Rogan, probably in 2016, if maybe early 2016. And he spoke about this. And Joe Rogan thought he was nuts. He was just like, he's, he's away with it. But then you've seen where, I think it was the Russian hacks and the the all the emails that got leaked for John Podesta, as you mentioned. And then there was like, for what Tom DeLong said, there was, as you said, there, there was there was um, links in the emails from meetings from um, Tom DeLong, people for uh, Lockheed Martin. I think it was like, um, who was it? Was it... McCaslin, General Mc, yeah, McCas- McCaslin. McCaslin. I, I'm, I'm, his name's eluding me right now. How to pronounce it correctly? Yeah, but there's all that. So it all came to fruition, and then obviously, um, but the, if people haven't seen it. A good thing in encompassing all that kind of process with Tom Long coming out was the the documentaries unidentified, um, like seasons one and two of that. So that kind of documented the whole kind of process of them coming out, um, to the Stars Academy, and then obviously the the Tic Tac. Um, videos and all that kind of stuff as well but um, amazing time seeing all that and then the unidentified came out as well and it was um, 
totally interesting. I mean, it was like more than interesting. I mean, it was blowing your way at the time, you know what I mean? So, um, but the Tom DeLong stories, like for for what he'd kind of told, there's a lot more to it for what he told. And wasn't a lot of that wasn't delved into after it. And I know he talks about it and stuff, but um, some interesting conversations he had, uh, people at Lockheed Martin and things like that. And I mean, which is, is that's that's now at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, with the, with Tom DeLong getting Blue and Elizondo involved, the the other information that started to rise to the surface is from some of that New York Times article was the le- I call them legacy UFO programs of the past of the recent past, mm-hmm. and that's where we found out Lou was running the program that was called uh, ATIP, which is the Aerospace. Dang it. ATIP. All, all these acronyms. Advanced Wild Space Wild. Threat Identification Threat Program. Threat Identification Program. Uh, and that, and then, then we found out there was a predecessor to that, which is OSAP. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce that one. That one's uh, a little bit o- more difficult to remember. O- that OSAP's acronym. Advanced Aerospace Weapon Systems Applications Program. <laughs> yes. not It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, don't, don't ask me um, say the... Uh, Omsug one or whatever that's called. <laughs> Aimsog. Aimsog. They, <laughs> so we'll do they, again they that couldn't later. even pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah, but that that whole that whole process we get into the whole OSAP. Well, ATIP program came out of OSAP and that whole process and get into delving into that is a really interesting story as well. Um, which is documented in like Skinwalkers at the Pentagon and 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 books like that. You know what I mean? So and that was predominantly looking at things like Skinwalker Ranch and and phenomena in general, which was um, quite interesting. Yeah, and it's just another in a series of government UFO investigation programs that they didn't want you to know about, but it finally came out. So it's I feel like more are going to continue to come out, and that's of course where we're at right now. The we're we're, we're knocking on the door of finding out some very interesting programs that the government has been hiding from us. So, but that's towards the end of the conversation. Now. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll try to keep going. Um, but the 2017 article that sent, it, sent waves across the community, it started getting the attention of government representatives. Uh, the guy that spoke out that I think was a, a big win was the John Ratcliffe comments that he made on the Maria Bartiromo show, where he basically said, yeah, they're out there and we've We've got satellite images of them. We've got this, that, and the other. We don't know what they are. So I feel like that was a significant turning point in the conversation because after that, it almost gave other uh, legislators carte blanche to start talking about this in a very serious, straightforward manner. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we've just gotten news clip or video clip after video clip of members of Congress speaking very seriously and solemnly about the yeah. UFO topic. and. The fact that well we just don't know like that's hard for people to admit they don't know things so for mm-hmm. those elected officials to stand in front of the camera and say it is a significant foreshadowing event in my opinion it's, it's interesting as well because I, I think at the start of the process where before some of the congress men and women were briefed on this internally um there was um there was like maybe a core few who were interested in it, and then there was other people who really weren't interested in it. It was still maybe have a a tongue in cheek kind of answer to it, and it would still be like that on the news initially. But now, even when you look at the news, it comes about it now. They're taking it more seriously. 
um, which is good to see because like any time you used to ever see anything about UFOs in the past, getting um, a bit of a news report, it was always a five-minute slot at the end before the weather, and they were making a joke about it. So yeah. it was quite good to see, although it's still not getting the coverage it should, but I think that's just because that where we are, we are we kind of look at this with broad spectrum where all different facets and all different um well can kind of follow it through podcasts and different news media and, and things like that. So from what we see, a lot of people don't see that in the public. They'll just see this the five minute snippet is on the now. So we think it should get a bit more traction, but that's just because we see a lot more of it. Um Probably, anyway, you know what I mean? But So I'll, I think of it as we're at the great, we're on the front row of the greatest show that's going to be on earth ever. We're sitting in the front row. We're mm-hmm. watching them set up the stage. We're watching them bring the equipment out, stretch, get ready to do whatever it is they're going to do. The show hasn't even started yet, but we're all sitting on the front row watching things build and build and build mm-hmm. to where they're going to be. Every like 99% of the population is at the snack bar. They don't know what's going on. They might glance at the stage every now and then and see what's going on, but then they go right back to getting the nachos and cheese or something. So people don't realize what they're missing. Like we're, me and you are drinking up all this foreshadowing. (laughs) Everything, all this stuff that we're seeing right now, these news clips that have significance to us, yeah, those are gonna those are gonna be in movies for the next fifty years, where they they talk about we had disclosure, and here's some clips of what people were saying leading up to it, and yeah. every most ninety percent of the population is gonna be like, I had no idea that those things were being said. How are they keeping it so quiet? Just because no one pays attention to it, it's just not on their in their wheelhouse. It's not on their radar. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, so where did we go for there? So obviously the, the first Kenny initial came out in 2017. That stretched out a wee bit to there. Um, Congress were getting briefed um, by people like Lou Elizondo and Christopher Mellon behind the scenes. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Um, I don't know if we have official documentation. Like This is another one of the things. Like, man, there's yeah. a lot of, I'll call it uh, knowledgeable speculation that these things occurred. Yeah, uh, just like I speculate that Chris Mellon has been involved in writing some of the legislation language that's in there because it sure seems like it's got yeah, his totally. fingerprints yeah. all over yeah. it. But yeah. I can't prove it. Um, but what happened from the 2017 bombshell article, members of Congress getting involved, two members of Congress really stood out for me during that immediate phase afterwards, and that's going to be Marco Rubio and Mark Warner. Who are both on the Senate Select Intelligence Community or Committee? Sorry, yeah. the Senate Intelligence Senate Select Intelligence Committee uh, yeah. is what they're on. So they're they're both the heads of it. They got things rolling from the congressional side. They started going, "Let's look into this," and that's how that was the initial push needed to establish the UAPTF, which is the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. That was um, August 14th, 2020 is when that got established. So it started the ball move rolling forward and it was actually headed up by a guy named, I want to say Don Norquist at the time, who within three weeks of being tasked with the duties of the UAP task force was reassigned another position. So immediately out the gate, 
the UAP task force was destined to not be the best operation because yeah. they cut it off at the head immediately. The, the thing but, with that as well, sorry to cut you off, I think before that as well, just to let the listeners know as well, where the Congress were getting involved as well for the fact that if there was special access programs running in the background, legacy programs to do a um, some type of UFO program, regardless if it's a, a, a crash retrieval or just looking into it. So there was no oversight on it in regards to monetary oversight. So that was the main issue to start off with. Um, and that's why it was getting looked into because if these programs are running there, there is um, there is oversight on these programs with people within Congress who you have coverage on it and they should know what's, what funds go where. So that was, there was a black hole where if they were there, they weren't getting, they, weren't, they, had, they didn't have oversight. So that's why they were kind of tying into all this and, and, and looking into it and starting the UAP task force and things like, to look into it, to look into, not just for the monetary funds, but look into it, obviously, if there was a threat for the UAPs that were getting seen and stuff as well. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, it's that's yeah. right on the money. Um, but then I think this is also this UAP task force has also been uh, the best thing to ever happen to UFOs is drones because drones are a threat. And uh, so the ATIP, which is the threat identification program, became relevant because we can just say we don't have to say UFOs. We can say we have drones in the sky that are a threat to the national security of the United States. We don't know what they are. They they are just unidentified until we identify them. We need to figure out what they are. They're probably drones. They're probably balloons. But maybe there's just a few that are very anomalous. So I think that was a, a, a good, the skinny end of a wedge to be able to push into the door to get it to open up so that we could actually start looking at what we really want to look at, which is the truly anomalous. But we had to get there first. And that's where I think drones kind of paved the way for for us to get the UAPTF established. So did it go from there? So from that, when the the UAP task force, when they started off, so they had a set time and then they had the the 180-day report. That was first. That was one of the first reports that came, wasn't it? The preliminary assessment on unidentified um, aerial phenomenon. Yes, yeah. that was June twenty fifth, twenty twenty one, is when yeah. that came out. So that was like and, the whole. And, so they can imagine. So two thousand seventeen, that process kind of started. Took took a bit of time. Obviously, after that, they got established. Then for what they had been looking into, had to conform to the report after one hundred eighty days, um, and then. But there was only. There was only two people in the UAP task force at, at that time. Um, so it was underfunded at that time, as far as I can so, remember. So the, the number of people in it, I feel like, is up for debate because we we know that Travis Taylor was associated with the UAP task force. We know Jay Stratton was associated with it. Yeah, that's We true. now know that Dave, David Grush was associated with it. Yeah. And there's another gentleman that was named. I'm forgetting his... I can't remember what his name is at this point. Um, but I... There's four known names that were associated with it. If they were all there at the same time, I'm not sure. Yeah. But there, there were more than two, in my opinion. Um, but one thing to note is that the UAP task force, the deadline for the 180-day report was the day that they published it. So they, they released it on the day that it was due, which is, in my opinion, a, uh, it was a shocker to me. I thought it would be delayed. And as we see later, 
arrow didn't follow through with the legacy that they were establishing with trying to be on time and present information as well. But that's another part of the story. But the UAP TF, I think they did a decent job with the cards that they were dealt. Yeah, Um, yeah. They did get a report. I still am upset that they redacted all of the shapes that were included in the um think I think it would be classified top secret report, the not for the classified report. Yeah, so that, it was a, was it 144? Was it 144 unknowns in that? Or was it 100? Yes. Yeah, 144. Uh, that. Correct. Yeah. So within within like the anomalous, because like obviously unidentified can mean a lot of different things. So going through the tranche, whatever they could find, there was a 144 anomalous um UEPs, UFOs that they didn't know what they were. And uh, that's still obviously they still had to ascertain what they were. But we don't we still don't know the findings if they found anything from that. But and um, we'll get to that as we kind of go through um as well. Um but yeah so I mean that I mean, when that all came about um as that's we were front row seats of that again, sitting with the popcorn, waiting for <laughs> waiting for the 180 day report to come out. <laughs> Getting that, going through it, reading it. Yeah, analyzing it. (laughs) So so I'm on TikTok and the first question that everybody asks you when you say that is, what do you do, dance on there or something? And I'm like, no, I never dance on TikTok, except for the day that the UAP, uh, the preliminary assessment on UAPs came out. I made my daughter dance with me a little bit in celebration of it. It was that significant (laughs) of an event to me. Um, But after that report came out, did kind of uh, the fire started to grow. It started to, instead of just being a lot of smoke, we started having flames. We started seeing flickering. And Gillibrand, who Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, who was a presidential contender back in the 2020 election, yeah. actually started spearheading the language that was being included in the National Defense Author- Authorization Acts, the Intelligence Authorization Acts, And to me, the documentation, the language that are in the legal, uh, the the authorization acts for the the intelligence community and the Department of Defense, that's the thing that I like to focus on because that's a very tangible object that people can grasp, that you can say, this is a law that we have to investigate these UFOs that is supported by these senators that you can see pictures of these. members of the house of representatives that you know like these serious people are requiring the government to investigate ufos why would they do that if there's nothing to it that's career it used to be career suicide to be associated with ufos you talk about you were a politician yeah yeah Yeah. and dennis costinage was asked about it during his election campaign and i think 88 and that was the end of his presidential run that mm-hmm. uh, after that everything tanked and he um, didn't get any further so it's career it used to be career suicide to be associated with it and that's why everybody's been very hands-off and standoffish on the subject but marco rubio mark warner getting involved with it to create the uap task force and then kirsten gillibrand started to work with people like uh, representative ruben gallego and what was the other gentleman's name it, well, it was the Gallego, Gillibrand, Rubio, 
amendment to the National Defense Authorization that started to amp things up a little bit. And they created an office called ASRO, A-S-R-O. And see, I didn't write down what that means. The uh, Anomaly Surveillance and Resolution Office is what they started out calling it. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks later, they had to modify the amendment and they added the T to make it ASTRO. So it was the Anomaly Surveillance and Tracking and Recovery Office at that point. Talk to me. That's what they, <laughs> yeah. And, but, but the acronyms there are very similar to ARO, which is yeah. the uh, current UFO um, office. So I think that Gillibrand is the originator of the language that eventually went on to create ARO. It started off as ASRO and moved on to ASTRO. But then after she did that, within like three days of them submitting language to create ASTRO, that's when the DOD said, hey, we're going to create this organization called AIMSOC. And that's the one that everybody was real pissed off about, to be <laughs> frank about it. Because the way that everyone took it is the DOD is saying, hey, Congress, don't worry about it. We got this. You got to fix us. It's okay. Trust, trust me, bro. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we'll, we're, we're we'll, 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 we'll look after this for you. It's okay. You don't need to look here. <laughs> so that was the sure. um, Airborne Object identification management and synchronization synchronization group <laughs> yes as a mouthful and they pronounce it aimsog i don't know how AIMSOG, they got that yeah. pronunciation out of it. <laughs> but the um what was i going to say the the initial the catalyst for creating aimsog actually originates back on the same day that the preliminary assessment on uaps was published the same day that the UAP task force published their report, their 180 day report, the deputy director of defense, Kathleen Hicks, published a memo on June 25th, the same day the report came out saying that she wanted to establish an office. And we all thought that she was referring to what Kirsten Gillibrand was referring to. But that's when we found out that was the DOD's own creation, the AIMSOG group to try to kind of hey we got this we'll keep it in house and we can do that and those are the that's the group that was represented by ronald moultrie and scott bray at the first congressional hearings on ufos um in 50 plus years and was that may 17 2022 i want to say yeah yeah, that was uh it was about may 16th or 17th yeah 2022 yeah Okay, yeah. So, so AIMSOG eventually led into the uh, they were who were represented at the congressional hearings, which was they were obviously not as well versed in the subject as you or I are. So that was interesting and frustrating to watch as well. Mm-hmm. But I took the day off of work to watch it. I take my kids and two of the neighborhood kids to school every morning. I yes. stopped at the gas station this morning and bought them drinks and bought them treats. I was like, I want you to remember this day. This is a significant <laughs> moment in UFO history that you won't remember unless I buy you candy. So I, I had to try to make it a point to help them remember it. Because that's one thing I think about is my kids don't care about this. Like they see me talking about this stuff. I have conversations with them every now and then. Yeah. I If, if this goes down, they're, they're going to turn around and look at us and they're going to be like, so you were right, Dad. That's that's that's. I've never thought you would be the one that was right, but mm-hmm. I want them to 
they're going through this experience with me on a much smaller scale and much smaller degree, but I do want them to be aware of it because if something happens and it's, it could create fear, it could, it can create uncertainty. And if they look at me and you, our kids look at me and you and they say, well, I mean, dad's not worried. If dad's not worried about this, then I don't think I'm going to be because I don't know what it is that's going to come out of this whole process, but I don't think it's something to necessarily have like immediate fear and concern over. I think it poses a lot of questions and gives us a lot more unknowns and a little bit of uncertainty, but I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to have to buy groceries. I still got to eat. I still got to vacuum the floors. It's not going to change our lives super dramatically right out of the gate. It's just going to open our eyes, take the blinders off of us. And a lot of people will be scared when you remove those blinders, but my kids won't just because they'll look at me and I'll be, they're, they're not new to the subject. We, we'll, be the new, we'll be on to the new list of questions. <laughs> so when people are just grasping that, well, right, so what about this? What about this? What about this? What about... <laughs> yeah, so, well, I'll, I'll, be, like. I'll be honest. Some of the best conversations that I have about the UFO subject are with my kids because mm-hmm. they're asking genuine questions and I get to tell them as much as I know about it because you know how it is. You can just yeah, kind of yeah. continue to unload. But if you can't explain the situation to a five-year-old, you're not able yeah. to explain it to a, a grown person. Like Good you got to simplify it. Yeah. So it's definitely beneficial to talk to your kids about it without overwhelming them and scaring them. You yeah. know, like I, it's it's a balancing act. But I don't I don't inundate them with information because then they'll just be annoyed. Uh, yeah. But I I do have conversations with them every now and then, just kind of ask them about their thoughts on it, and I'll show them a clip occasionally. Yeah, uh, just to see, like, well, to validate my interest in this subject too to my kids. Like, this is why I do it because of cool stuff like this that's happening. <laughs> I'm the exact same. That sounds like um, the exact same I do with my kids as well. So I'll feed them a wee bit of information now and again, not too much. And if it's on the news, I'll go, look, look, told you, look. <laughs> yeah. The news, look. So, so, yeah, definitely do that. But my, my kids are quite open to it as well. I mean, so. Um, I think it's different times now for the kids growing up as well. I mean, they're a, a different um, generation as well. So I think they're brought up with a lot of it on social media, video games, everything else. And I think they just take it as common knowledge that, uh, that there's something else out there as well. Yeah. I mean, so, so I've heard that there's three stages of acceptance of a new discovery. One is denial. The first stage is denial that it couldn't be possible rocks aren't falling from the sky that's ridiculous and then the second stage is acceptance where you're like oh okay so so there are meteors that fall to earth occasionally and we find them in fields and we pick them up and then the third stage is i can't believe those people didn't believe in meteors i can't believe that they (laughs) didn't figure that out on their own and like right now we're in the we're on the very front edge of the acceptance stage we're transitioning from denial to acceptance uh, at this moment and at some point in the future maybe our kids future maybe their kids they're going to look back at our generation and be like i can't believe how dumb they were they didn't they thought they were all alone (laughs) pioneers trying to trying to converse and try to change people's minds you know what i mean so that's what we're doing anyway as well so but enjoying it along the way it's a fun yeah totally totally yeah i 
it bums me out that more people don't get to enjoy this. Like when this news comes out, man, it's like a rush. It's yeah. it's like watching sports for me. It's funny as well where you when you outwardly, I was saying it was like a closet UFO person. I, I was like, uh, I read books and was into early documentaries and studied it and stuff. And but you're you're no walking about town with plastered on your head. You know what I mean? So, and you maybe. You'd maybe put the odd slight conversation there, a slight comment, just to put the feels out of somebody else's um, into UFOs or not, or or whatever. And it's interesting when, like, I mean, I started the podcast. Interesting who you get coming to you, people who you maybe know all your life, and they didn't want to tell you the story and stuff, and then they'll come to you and say, "Well, this happened to me," or or whatever. So it's it's funny, but I mean. I think now, I mean, with this, and if more people seen this, and that's the thing as well, where there's, because we're into it, we see it, and if more people seen that, then they might be more open to come out and talk about their own experiences. But that's what I'm saying. That example I talked about, a work colleague, he hardly seen anything at all on news about it whatsoever. And in the, the, the British news, you'll get like snippets of it coming on, and it'll be in, like, it'll be in The Guardian, and then some other um, tabloids and stuff. But unless you read them or look for the actual... Because I would actually look for who's who's um, putting the articles out there rather than just whatever I normally can read or pick up or news programme I watch. Um, we'd actually actively look at see who's putting them out there, see what kind of news media is putting stuff out or are, they, or are they just trying to tone it down a wee bit. But um, I think if more people were seeing that, then they'd be more open to talk about it. I mean, so. Oh yeah, well, well, like you said, uh, not too long ago, being interested in UFOs was like your dirty little secret that you didn't want anyone <clears throat> to find out about you. And I'll be honest, like I don't tell people that I work with about it. I, I, if they find out about it, that's great. I'll have a conversation with them. Like my friends know about it, but yeah. it's not something that that you just kind of, like you said, put on your head and uh, walk around and talk about uh, because people have different reactions to it the stigma still exists it's definitely much lower but there are some people that are uh, very yeah. adamant that you're wrong about it yeah so, uh, uh, yeah and just think you're a complete cook and stuff like that i mean that's it and i, I get it i mean i'm the same i mean my work, my work as well um i don't outwardly just can kind of try and talk to people at work about it or can you bring it out and stuff like that but i was Quite surprised. I was quite quite um no surprised, pleasantly surprised. Um, I I jumped into a colleague's a colleague's truck to go for a kind of a long distance drive to go somewhere where we were kind of heading for work, and he had Sasquatch Trunk Chronicles on in his car. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love that show. That yeah, yeah, good, great. And, and that's then my favorite re- one of all the Bigfoot ones. And I still never told him I had the podcast. I still, because then I kind of thought he he started working with us, and he was he wasn't working with us that long at the time, and I didn't want to kind of tell him about the podcast, but I knew he was into Sasquatch Chronicles, I knew he listened to it and stuff like that, and it was just until recently, kind of, he contacted me. It was actually just about a few months ago, and he's like, "I heard you're into the, I heard you're into the fray." <laughs> so I was like, "So like, what's hey. it's like, You've kept it from me. You lied." <laughs> I was like, "No, I was like, it's 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 like,
I feel like you can say like you can expose them to, to certain things and then it's up to them to say, well, that is interesting. I need to do do this on myself. I need to look into this a little bit deeper on myself. You, you're basically leading the horse to the to water is what you can do with the UFO conversation. I, I can't convince anyone that this is a legitimate thing that you should, you should be spending your time on. But if I can entertain your keep, get your attention long enough for you to find value in what you're learning about, because once you open the doors of the UFO topic, you realize it's not just about a, a craft in the sky, maybe some little green guys in it or whatever. It's definitely a bigger question. There's bigger questions that are associated with the UFO phenomena than just what is it and who are they? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right, yeah. Right, so where do we get up to in regards to um, AIMSOG? Uh, yeah, we were getting disappointed by AIMSOG's appearance at the congressional hearings, uh, but uh, we ended up getting a video out of that, of a, a little circle that they couldn't pause on. Uh, so it was a little bit embarrassing, but we did get some really good questions from Representative Mike Gallagher, where he asked about the Thomas Wilson notes and he also asked about the Maelstrom nuclear uh, Air Force incident where yeah. craft were rumored to shut off these uh, the nukes capabilities. Yeah. As, and, and that, of course, is balanced out by them actually activating nukes on the Russian uh, side of the story. So yeah. in the U.S., they shut down the nukes and in Russia, they activated them and it was like they were about to launch. So. The fact that those two questions were brought up at that hearing, those were the two most significant ones, in my opinion, uh, as far as the outcome of it. And then it ended up leading to the Wilson Davis notes being submitted into the congressional records so that yeah. it's now officially on a .gov website. And, and that whole story has so much more significance now that the recent whistleblower testimonies come out because there's a lot of similarities in the story that he's stating and what happened to Thomas Wilson, Admiral Thomas Wilson, when he tried to do the same thing that Grush was doing. They got a bit, the, the, basically the same response, which is, if you don't drop this, you're going to lose two stars and you're going to retire early. You're not going to get advancements in your career. We're going to revoke your security clearance. So so it's echoes yeah. of the Thomas Wilson notes in today's story, that which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, when you see the link between the Thomas Wilson notes and then the other notes, as far as I can remember, going back to a link into the Advanced um, Theoretical Physics Working Group. Yes, and and that was in, unknown. Yeah, yeah, links into that. And, and, and that was like mid-80s. And they're talking in the mid-80s about, although they didn't touch on it much, they were talking about obviously tracking UFOs and they were talking about... Um, they mentioned abductions in it, but it didn't delve into it too much. They also talked about remote viewing and stuff. That was like um, Colonel John Alexander was there. There was people from MacArthur Douglas, Lockheed Martin, things like that. There's like, and that was like a round table of different minds. And I reckon that's still happening now. And that's what like people like Nolan are in, and like they can't kind even of know the knowns that where they're getting information from, like um, like um. Doctor Known and things like that. You know, I mean, that's what I think. You know, what I mean, but maybe totally wrong. Well, in that. But 
when they come out with some kind of comments, you're thinking, where are you getting that from? And I mean, so there must be some type of um the knowledge between different people still going on. Um, so I feel like what the uh, physics working group is kind of like a rogue, I'll call it rogue for lack of better terms, a rogue group of highly intelligent, highly connected, highly credentialed people that get <clears> together <throat> and discuss these topics. Yeah, that's also what how I would describe the invisible college that Jacques Vallée discussed occurred in the seventies. Yeah, as well as the aviary that has been discussed in, in documents in the of the past. So it seems like there's been these little rogue groups of UFO aficionados that probably knew something but couldn't put the pieces together, couldn't do it at at their employment because of the stove piping. They might not have been brought into the programs. So it seems like those types of groups started to develop or have been developing over time and it seems to me like the t to the stars academy was the first one of those groups that went public yeah i'll, I'll call it so it seems like that's what's happening but it's a little bit of speculation on that going back to just the 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 comments you're talking about where um scott brain and and Lauren Moultrie, when they were getting asked the questions on the Malmstrom um nuclear base and, and they didn't know about it so and do you think that was a, a plausible denial on their account for no knowing genuinely not known or were they avoiding or what's your kind of thoughts on that um, I, I just don't think they were prepared prepared I, yeah I don't I, I don't get the impression that those guys were into the UFO subject they kind of got handed some talking points and yeah knew a lot about the program but they were like all right if they ask us a tough question just weasel your way out of it and try to deflect and, and move on to the next thing and if you have to just pretend you don't know because it's hard for me to believe that if you've been researching ufos for any duration of time you haven't immediately learned about ufo and nukes uh, robert hastings book there's a, an amazing movie about it robert solace's testimony yeah. So there's there's all kinds of information out there and available, and it is a shocking aspect of the UFO phenomena. So for them to say that they've researched it, looked into it, and not know it, it is it reeks of uh, plausible deniability. Yeah, yeah, it does because I mean with that one of the comments to say that they don't they didn't take reports from what was the word then um, from outside, but actually the report came from the DOD about that that case that's where it came from i mean because it was internal um yeah. but i uh, so it was interesting but i mean that i think it was it was quite frustrating in a sense watching it where some of the questions they were trying to wangle out it or just didn't know enough about the subject or it looked that way anyway some of the questions that was put forward from um congress or the congressmen and women who were there some were quite good questions but some of them um Maybe when they followed up good enough after the question, maybe they were, you could tell they were briefed on what they ask. Um, some asked didn't ask great questions. Some asked really good questions. But then, for example, the question on about um, about crash retrievals and and materials and and things like that that was asked at that that um, briefing as well. And they and they, they basically answered obviously that that good line where they said that. The UEP task force ha hasn't got anything like that in the possession or found anything like that in the possession. But the UEP task force had only been running for, at that point, a year and nine months or something. 
So yeah. um, that was a way, and like that could have been. I think because it's kind of they skipped over that because of that, and that could have been if well, is the DOD got anything like that, and it could have been a better question or, or whatever else, but or even they could probably wangle at that because you never asked as private industry got this. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's I all in the wording. Do. It's all in the wording of the question. Yeah, they weasel their way out of answering it directly. They don't give a direct response to a direct question. They they caveat it and they add uh, nuances to their response that make it to where it's it's not a firm answer. It leaves a lot of room for imagination. Um, Do you think that the who was asking the questions? Do you think they came out of that frustrated? I'm sure they did. Uh, they didn't. They didn't get. None of them got a bunch of questions either. They didn't get a chance to follow up on it, which is something that shocked me. And it, they didn't even like some of these good questions didn't even get followed up on the following congressional hearing, which I mean, I was all, I was all there for it. I was expecting something to come up and so that there'd be a continuation of that type of questioning, but it, it didn't pan out. Yeah. So moving on. We um so after that after that hearing, where did we go for the year? After the hearings. All right, after the hearings. So they got back to working on legislation and trying to further the effort. And you can see over the course of time the focus of the language has shifted. The the language that was put forward after the congressional hearing seemed to be focused on whistleblower protection agents or whistleblower protection of protections yeah and as well as establishing an office so we started to see the beginnings of the language that eventually did turn into the guiding the guidance for ARO, the anomaly the all domain anomaly resolution office that's headed up currently by sean kirk dr sean kirkpatrick yeah. So that that language started moving forward, but it was like I said, establishing an office to investigate, synchronize, collect, citing reports, investigate them, and um, I feel like I've been talking so much, I'm starting to lose my train of thought. <laughs> uh, and and at the same, so at the same time with that, so with the the whistleblower protection, just let's call it that. So in regards to that was set up and written into law as well, so people could come forward. And they could they could basically talk to um, Congress in a classified setting and tell them about if they'd been involved in working in legacy programs, crash retrievals, um, or even like sightings or whatever else. And over well, well before that as well, um, right at the start of that, we never mentioned it at the start, but the it changed as well. So the reporting aspect, the changing in the Navy, they could obviously report UFOs and stuff like that without... Uh, yeah, by the cool or whatever else and stuff. So that reporting could come in better, and that's what kind of filtered through it. Something like UAP task force, and then ultimately Arrow as well. But so all that was going on um, in regards to that aspect. Here, real quick before we move on from that, like the the article that you're talking about, where the Navy announced that they're basically requiring their pilots to report unidentified anomalous phenomena up the chain. Yeah, at the same within months of that article being published. Brian Bender put out the political article that said that the UAP task force was being stiff armed by the Air Force officials. So yeah. we had the dynamic between the Navy cooperating and the Air Force reluctantly participating and, and probably not at all. Like that was a big question, I think, when we had the 
preliminary assessment of the 144 reports. Mm-hmm. Were any of them from the Air Force or were they all from the Navy? Did the Air Force help out at all uh, uh, with the request from for information from the UAP task force? Did they, did they ever get that? So did any of them come for the Air Force? Did they get did they get that knowledge? I wish I could answer that question, but it's been <laughs> too long since I looked into it. I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say maybe just like a dozen, but it could be zero. It's, it's just a pittance of the overall amount of cases yeah so so from that um the so Arrow obviously was formed and that was and uh, they were getting reports from let's say pilots or or past reports and, and things like that and then more recently um i don't excuse if i jumped too far ahead so we had the the briefings recently with uh, dr sean kilpatrick we um yes and basically in front of Congress as well. So that was um, Congress, Congresswoman uh, Jill Brand again. She was in there with a few others. And you were Johnny at, Ernst. Yeah. yeah. You, you were at that briefing, weren't you? You went to that briefing. I, I drove nine hours to go up to a <laughs> Washington and go to my first public congressional hearing. Never been before, so it was quite an experience. Was it busy? No. Was it quite quiet or...? It was quiet, man, like for for what I thought it was going to be, like what I hoped it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a nothing burger, but I was hoping that it would have some of those follow up questions that were asked in the first congressional hearing. And like I said, this is my ability to see history unfolding right before my eyes. Yeah, I could see it on a screen or I could sit in the room where history has been made. And I even I ended up taking the nameplate, the uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick had in front of him when speaking at it. It's in my <laughs> closet right there. <laughs> but um, I'm, I, this is like the problem with talking about UFOs is like as you try to progress in a chronological order, you're always like, Brack, I got to go back and mention this other thing. Yeah. One thing that we that we neglected to mention is that there was legislation put forward before the creation of Arrow that was that opened up the thought about, okay, we need to stop looking at just aerial phenomena. We need to look at transmedium. We yeah. need to look from, from air to water and from air to space. Yeah. So, so they created old domain. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah. that's, but before that existed, they had verbiage in one of the amendments to set up something called the UAUPJPO. And that was the unidentified aerial Underwater phenomena joint JPO. What's JPO? Joint something office. It's, it's mad the amount of different offices they're trying to set up to try and get the word and set for this. You know what I mean? But that's yes. ultimately then Arrow came for that. Well, failed. So yeah, yeah. And so that got flushed down the toilet, and it ended up going to the all domain. So the all domain does include transmedium vehicles. So that was a definitely a, an addition to the recipe that is the current disclosure cake we're trying to bake. Yeah. Yeah. So during the hearings, were you did you were you disappointed with what you heard in the hearings? Or did you think it was okay what um Dr. Sean Kilpatrick said and what it can kind of relate? I mean it was only a briefing at the end of the day. Yeah. So my immediate response was disappointment. Like mm-hmm. it it was the, the biggest disappointment for me was the lack of support from the other senators on the, that congressional uh, committee. Yeah. I, w- 
was ex- I wasn't expecting like a, a giant display of support, but I, th- I thought that the lack of support was kind of deafening in my opinion, that there weren't more people involved. I mean, Senator Mark Kelly, who was a former astronaut, was one of the people that was on the committee and he chose not to go to the public hearing. You still don't know if they went to the classified hearing that led up to the public hearing, which is, once again, that was a a weird order for the classified version of the report of the briefing to precede the unclassified version, which was the opposite for the first congressional hearing. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I was immediately disappointed because there wasn't a lot of information there. It felt like a briefing. It felt like a boss saying, hey, employee, tell me what you're doing. Yeah. Um, Kirkpatrick didn't want to interact with the, the public at all. After the meeting broke up, Gillibrand came around, was very cordial and was looking at everybody's information. I got to interview her, filmed it, of course. And she she is genuinely interested in this topic and genuinely yeah. um, dedicated to the American people to to help get answers for them. So it's, to me, she's an, a big advocate on our side for UAP transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the the initial disappointment of the briefing, I started thinking about what was presented, what was said, and I started listening to more podcasts. But when I listened to the Micah Hanks show, when he discussed his view on the outcome of the briefing, it definitely shifted my perspective around and made me realize, okay, we did get videos. We did get to see the shapes. We did get this slides of information that were previously unavailable to us that were blacked out in the previous preliminary assessment. Now we have them. So even though it was disappointing at first, it did start. I did start to see the value in the small bits and pieces that we gained from it. So mm-hmm. overall, now I have a positive outlook on it, and I think it's a good step forward. Um, I do feel like there, there's a a long game going on, and we're taking a bunch of these small steps to move the move forward. And I just don't know how many steps there are. And I don't know how much patience I have to wait for all the <laughs> steps, unfortunately. I think when I watched it, um, I, I wasn't too disappointed with it. I mean, what, what I took from it. I mean, it did highlight the fact that um, going through the fact that what type of anomalous, let's say, videos they get or information they get or radar data they get. And they've got a lot to sift through. And and it, like, giving examples of the type of data, like some... Showed, obviously, the video showed that the anomalous video with the, the, the sphere or orb kind of getting um, caught in the predator drone footage, and then highlighted another one which was um, classed as it looked like a UAP, but it wasn't, it was something else. Because, but we need to go through these frame by frame, try and understand what they are, and you can understand that. But I think with some of the questions that came for Gilbrand, um, I don't know, I, I, I was kind of reading between the lines that. She's kind of asking him, "Are you getting? Are you getting um, what you need from the DOD? Are you getting?" Right. That was kind of what I took for it. It was kind of like his kind of hands were tied a wee bit, and it was um, trying to <laughs> word it as best they could without getting in trouble. You know what I mean? That he needs more help, or he needs more funding, and he needs and needs this. You know I mean, and I could see the question she was asking him. I mean, I know that's quite a lot to take between the lines, but that's what I kind of took for a wee bit. I, I seen a man there who was um, trying his best at what he had, but it looked at, he he to me looked a bit frustrated. 
That's what I oh, could yeah. fear. I didn't think he was trying to obfuscate or, or try and cover up or anything like that. I just thought he looked a bit frustrated for what he had to deal with. Um, regardless of I'm liking to be in public or not, but I kind of thought that um, he, he's obviously, he's probably needing more. He needs more funders, he needs more people, whatever else. And I think that was that his hands are tied. Well, one of, one of the big things that demonstrated that his hands were tied is that he said that he doesn't have Title 50 authority, which is mm -hmm. allows allows him access to classified information from the intelligence community, I believe is what I think yeah. Title 10 is the DOD and Title 50 is the intelligence community. So he didn't have that. I think uh, Gillibrand knew that, and that's why she asked him about it so she could turn around and say, well, I'm going to help you get it. Yeah. Um, but I, I one thing I think about when I view Sean Kirkpatrick is I feel like no matter what he thinks personally, if he's like, I think there's something to this, I do not think he's the kind of guy that would stand in front of people as his job and say, yeah, we don't have proof, but man, it sure seems like this does. I feel like he's a just the facts kind yeah. of person. Like if Locking I can't me. prove it, if, if I can't prove it, it's not true. So if he doesn't have information available to him to review that, convinces him without a shadow of a doubt. And I would assume his threshold of proof is very high because he's tasked with without a shadow of a doubt, you got to prove this to me. And and he's not there yet. He hasn't found that piece of information that makes him confident that he can can he can lay it on the table and no one can argue it. No one can can debate it. It's bulletproof. I don't I think until he gets information and evidence at that level he's going to continue to not step beyond or step into the world of speculation. Yeah. No, I understood that. I mean, that's kind of what I took from him as well. Um, I think he's a kind of black and white kind of guy. And what he did mention, it was like data driven. You know what I mean? So it's, he's not got the data for it yet. And that's, that's what he's looking for. I mean, the data for it. Um, I don't know if he Absolutely. takes witness testimony into that data. Um, I wouldn't, I couldn't probably imagine him to, but I mean, but you'd think he would with the amount of witness testimonies there, but he might be getting off a, but you hear behind the scenes what he might be getting off a ex-contractors, ex-people from DOD or, or whatever, people involved in legacy programs or, or whatever else. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, witness testimony is definitely not proof. It is not evidence. It is clues. It is, so, uh, yeah, it's just gonna, it's breadcrumbs to lead you to something. That's yeah. all it is. You can't. He can't make a decision, a statement, a fact based on witness testimony, and it's frustrating, of course. Um, but it's true. I'm I'm the same way. Just if if someone tells me a story about something they said, I don't consider it proof. I'm like, that's a very interesting story. It's anecdotal to me. It yeah. might be proof to you, but it's anecdotal to me. I don't hope. I hope you're not offended by that. But it's mm -hmm. it's. And like I said in the beginning, it's just the vast number of those anecdotal accounts that yeah. is just an overwhelming weight of that. It's that's on the edge of evidence, but it's just not quite there. Mm. No, totally. There's there's so much there. So from there, um, try to think where we go for there. So obviously that was quite recent. Um, and there's, there's there's obviously there's there's wee snippets that go along from that. You know what I mean, in regards to after after that briefing, it was only a briefing. Um, and then did we jump straight into Gush for there? 
crush for there, or was it in before uh, that? Obviously, well, NASA, NASA as well. NASA. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. We yeah. we got to take another step back, and we got to say, as this aero uh, assessment was being put together, NASA was making announcements. They were saying we're going to establish a 16-member team to investigate UAPs ourselves. Yeah. Other other independent uh, organizations were popping up. The SCU, the the Ovilobes, um, Galileo Project, the Ryan Graves IAIA, the IAAA program. What more acronyms, of course? <laughs> but all these other organizations of professional people are are springing up everywhere. And Gary Nolan's involved with them. Chris Mellon's involved with them. There's just the Enigma Labs has popped up recently. So there's all these other efforts to figure this out that are going on on a parallel path to what Arrow's doing. Uh, but yeah, after the the congressional hearing with Arrow, he was on stage with the 16-member NASA team making yeah. statements and providing even more video footage at that event. So it's it's just the it's the it's branching off into a much larger tree right now. Yeah. And then the NASA, the NASA um, briefing was four hours. Was it four hours it went for? Yes. Four, four hours. Did you watch with... it all? Oh, yeah. I've watched it like two yeah, or three yeah, times. I'd say I yeah. go through and make notes. Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot in that. You know what I mean? But it's, it's interesting how that's kind of pulling together. So that was the NASA... Did you get? Did you did you take much from the NASA hearings? Or no, the NASA briefing. Did you take much from it yourself? Um, I not too terribly much. I mean, I thought Sean Kirkpatrick's part was the highlight of it, of course, yeah. because I feel like he's got more information than they have. They like actually, I'll take that back. One of the things that I found most interesting about the NASA presentation was the guy from the FAA. That's the uh, Federal Aviation Administration in the, in America. Mm -hmm. And so they have all the uh, airport towers. They have access to all the radar that are on the planes. So they just have this mobile radar system that spans the globe. They cover the United States. They fly over oceans. So they have radars everywhere constantly yeah. monitoring the sky at a level that is beyond belief in my opinion like i think i ran the math and there's like 50 million flights per year from the united states of america so think about that every time a, a plane goes in the air they're scanning their surroundings are they picking up things that are being filtered out just like the uh, chinese surveillance balloon or kind of shown a light on a domain awareness gap that the United States has, where if it was a slow moving object, it got pushed to the side, no one paid any attention to it, but now it's become an issue. They've opened up the radar gates to allow more data to be observed and documented and logged. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's something that could happen with the FAA. They're looking for other planes. They're, they're, what is it that they're radars are sensing but are being scrubbed so if they can change the way that the faa report records and reports their data we might have a sudden tremendous jump in the number of reports which were 800 reports i think is what kirkpatrick said that they had on their books when he was at the nasa event which was like another 200 or 300 from the congressional hearing that he held. So the number continues to rise as far as unidentified. Mm -hmm. 
What's, what's your kind of thoughts? Do you think in regards to, like, um, let's say, for example, if the Air Force have been in control of these legacy programmes, like just hypothetically, or the Air Force and private industry, do you think NASA's been frozen out of that but know about it? Or do you think they've been complicit in it? Oh, man. But NASA is NASA being stiff-armed is the question. I've never really thought about it. That's a good question, though. But um, I would think that there's probably representatives, there's higher-ups that are working hand-in-hand with other organizations. I'm sure they all trade general information. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we established nuclear weapons programs in America and at the same time, those programs were being established in other countries. So similar technologies developed in, in different locations all around the world at similar times. So it seems like if NASA was developing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but who knows what NASA has been scrubbing from their records? Who knows what NASA hasn't been truthful about to the American people, what their astronauts have seen? Well, uh, maybe they did see something on the moon and that yeah. kind of got them interested in it. I would think that if they have all that surveillance equipment that captures things, that the government would want to be involved in the discussion of, hey, what do you do with that information once you collect it? I don't want you to send it anywhere, so just give it to me or scrub it or do whatever. So I think there would have to be some interaction between the government and NASA and those programs, because if there are those legacy programs and they have something that is similar in technology that is operational, they could say, don't record us. That's us flying around doing this, that, or the other. Um, Same thing with just any technology that the government has that's top secret. Like if NASA sees it, they, they have the ability to see it. So they need to know if they see it. So I would think that um, as I talk this through that, yeah, there's gotta be connections between NASA and these legacy programs. Even if it's not a direct connection, it might be through a third party mediator i'll call it or yeah. liaison maybe yeah they probably at least know about it anyway i've been involved in at some kind of stage so so from from nasa so that was quite interesting as well that coming out after after that briefing and then um is it straight to david grush after that or was there anything in between that so we did get a little information about, uh, I think, can- was it Canada that was starting to be announced? Yeah. The, the Five Eye stuff. Five Eye stuff, yeah. Um, but the NASA news and all that got immediately crashed when David Grush came out and that article dropped because yeah. that was, I mean, I was going to do uh, highlights of the NASA um, conference on for a video, but by the time I got close to being ready to start making it, it was like the Grush story came out and it just killed everything. Like it just was the most amazing story because it is a phenomenal step forward in the discussion from a credible guy. So David Grush worked on the UAP task force, um, right, saying that. So that was when it was originated at the start of it. So so he was involved in obviously collecting testimonies and and obviously people he maybe he worked with in the past who maybe contracted to maybe certain outside contracts, whatever legacy programs, came to him and told them certain stories or he, he found that a number for a number of different sources that there was legacy programs, there was crash retrievals, there was bodies, there was um 
criminal activity, try and conceal it and try to cover it up. Um, Stovepipes and private industry and, and things like that. So that's where we are with that. And um, he's he's basically came out and uh, there's no evidence attached to it yet, as of yet. And I mean, it's, it's, it's barely still witness testimony, but I think for the people who's came towards him, he he believes them. Oh, yeah. Well, I, and take this into consideration is that just because he can't tell us what he's seen, he's mm-hmm. able to see classified information he's not even able to discuss. Yeah, with us. Right, so, yeah. Like he's he said he's mentioned pictures, he's mentioned other documentation. Um, I just don't know what he's seen. Of course, I'd love to know. I'd love to see the pictures that he's mentioned, but they're classified, so we can't legally see them but they were significant enough for the inspector generals to take him seriously and he started suffering ramifications because of his investigation and those are taken very seriously as well Mm -hmm. so he's i think before he he left these security clearances were getting pulled and and things like that and um, he got his house broken into as well. So he said he got the house broken into, and or there's a lot of you know, different stuff happening. So, um, really interesting story, and that's just been more recently. Um, and, and it, once again, that that's got the echoes of what happened to Admiral Thomas Wilson. He looked into it, and he started suffering, threatened. He was threatened with ramifications to his career. Yeah, uh, just by looking into this subject. So, like David Grush, Grush, sorry, he was um. Worked for the was it the geospatial intelligence unit or something like that? Was that, was that the name yet? The, yeah, NGA and the NRO, National yeah. Reconnaissance Office. Yeah. So he and then he obviously in the UAP task force. So for what he's, people think he will know that people in know basically see a gen up guy vouching for him. Um, it went out originally on the the debrief. Um, because I think some of the more mainstream ones were, were taking too long to do vetting. Or whatever else for it was that my right saying that and then it went so what's what what i've heard is what i've heard has was actually transpiring is that they were putting it forward to i believe the washington post to publish the article but david grush's name got leaked and it they were afraid that it was the story was going to be leaked without it making it into the paper because the washington post washington post was still trying to vet him yeah, but they ended up saying we got to do this faster. So that's when they reached out to the debrief and published on there to mm-hmm. try to stay in front of David Grush's name being leaked because it is a safety mechanism to put your if you're if you're still threatened by the government in particular and you go out in a public forum and kind tell of your story. yeah rock tell your story. It's a safety mechanism. You're not going to just disappear. Uh, yeah, you're it's it's a difference. It's a safety move basically. Yeah, yeah. So, so that happened went via the debrief. Then it went through through News Nation, uh, and then it had a lot of different other news organisations. And that was in the Guardian, for example, and a few other news. Didn't go as widespread as I thought it would. Um, as a lot of us thought it would, but um, that's still in the mix. That's quite recent. You know what I mean, so that's that's still there. Um, then 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 from that, so that's obviously relating to the legacy programs, crash retrievals, bodies potential killings to do it as well and all this type of stuff people have been killed for this criminality because they're getting covered up and things so all these different types of things that he's came out with so everything you, everything you can 
you thought was there in regards to the X Files. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's he's coming out and saying this is this is true. This is this is happening. Yeah, and that that's one of the things that is is worrisome. It's like, man, this is too accurate. This is too good to be true. This is like yeah. all the things that we've talked about. Like everyone, like there's so much accuracy from from the UFO lore that is involved in his story. Yeah, um, and yeah. like we have twelve plus crafts. We recovered the 1933 Magenta uh, Italy UFO. The Pope's involved, like like the Vatican's in, involved with this thing, even so. It's almost one of those it's too good to be true scenarios with as far as what he's saying. But it's also like, or he's or the information has been leaking over the course of the 80-year cover-up. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten bits and pieces here and there, and we've actually put a, a bunch of the puzzle together, a bunch more than we realized. And now we're starting to see the picture and someone's verifying that we're painting or that we've put the right puzzle pieces together. But just just for the listeners as well, during that you mentioned the Pope there, but the Vatican has come out um, over the last good number of years and um, had different statements about um, ETs or people who say that elsewhere. I, I can't remember the actual statement what came out, but the, there's been a few mentions to it as well about um, either yes. ETs or whatever else. So they've kind of they've tried to we're all god's children we're, yes and, so if we're, tried... and if we're all god's children then we can baptize aliens is what is the paraphrased uh, version of what they've said they've also held symposiums to say um, and i made a video about this that they they have held a symposium at harvard i believe where they had different speakers come in and talk about the ramifications of extraterrestrial life on earth so it seems to me like the catholic church is kind of more up to speed with the conversation yeah, yeah. than any other religion that I'm aware of, except maybe the Indian religions, because that is a, a definite part ingrained in their religion is the extraterrestrial aspect of it with beings coming from outer space, blue um, creatures of Amanas, like all that um, religious text that they have, like they're, they're different. Like their religion is very, more in line with the narrative that we see in the UFO uh, conversation. So it doesn't seem like it's too much of a stretch to for for those people that have been exposed to those religions to understand and, and not be frightened by the UFO investigation. Have you, I mean, just going off on a tangent slightly here, but have you ever read in any any Paul Wallace's books? I can't say I have, no. No, that, very interesting. And it's, it's um, he was like a kind of theologian scholar, um, what was he? What was he actually done? I can't mean what position he had in the Catholic Church, but he he's wrote books on obviously um, Sumerians and linking different biblical texts and stuff like that, and it all links back to things like this a bit like um, ETs or where we came from. It links into a lot of stuff that's been actually um, mentioned through things like what Lou Elizondo's mentioned, other things, kind of other tangents and stuff like that. I'll send you a link, but there's one that I read recently called, it's called Beyond, I think it's called Beyond Eden Conspiracy or something. It's quite good, you know what I mean? But I'll send you a link to it. It's worth a read because it links into quite a lot of other stuff. But see, when you actually, you read things like that, and then, but for other kind of sources, like things like the Bob Monroe for the Monroe Institute, and you read his stories, and then you link it to some present-day UFO, things linking back to mythology and things. It's, it, it, a lot of it tells the same story. 
Um, but that's a yeah. totally different, a totally different tangent. You know what I mean, but so after uh, after David Grush, so that's still kind of ongoing now. I mean, he's recently came out, and then there's been some new documentation came out. What was that? It came out again? Just came out last week. Um, I think that he had an interview with a Dutch, I want to say, news station, and they had a print article that came out. I'm not uh, super familiar with the contents of it uh, off the top of my head, but that's that's been discussed. But the thing that's come out most recently is Marco Rubio, two days ago, made comments basically stating that he's heard Russia's testimony. He can't confirm nor deny the authenticity of what he's stating, yeah. uh, if that's true, but he's heard and this is where I, I kind of like my jaw dropped when he said this. He's talked to other high ranking officials, he's, some of which are public figures that are saying almost exactly the same thing as David Grush. Yes. So that is a, a, a big one to me. Like he's he's not confirming it. He's being he's being elusive with the way that he states it. But once again, that statement that he made is going to be in a hundred movies in, in a few years, foreshadowing things to come because to me what that says is oh yeah grush's stories are very interesting but wait until you hear these other guys and their stories there are first-hand experiencers or first, not experiencers first-hand involved in these legacy programs yes. those are the people that marco rubio has mentioned that yep. that that they're whistleblowers and man yeah can't I mean, wait to hear what they had to say definitely definitely i'm talking about the new um what was it the new bill that was sent out with the uh, the wording basically about oh, yeah. legacy programs. That's it. That's something I'm trying to remember. The, that was the Intelligence Authorization Act of 2024. It's a 60-day thing. It's 60-days have got. So from the time that becomes law, and from what I've learned, the IAA, which is the Intelligence Authorization Act, gets combined with the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. So one represents the language they put in for the intelligence community and one, the other represents what the DOD is supposed to do for Congress. So they end up merging those together and that's what gets to get signed in December. So the NDAA 2023 was signed by Biden in 2022. They'll sign this one that they just put forward in December of this year or next year. And the focus of the language, uh, there's 10 pages in this IAA that was just put forward, is strict, not strictly, super focused on bringing out these legacy programs, telling people that you need, if you have information on this, you have 60 days to report it to um, Sean Kirkpatrick at Arrow, and then you have 180 days to show him what you've got. So you can't just tell him what it is, you have to then turn around and have them come out and look at it or yeah. provide it to them, whatever it is. It's good to think that you read it, the wording, and it's quite good because it's quite hard for them to wangle out it in any sense um, because of the way it's written in regards to it's, it covers a large area. It, it, it's obviously private industry, contractors, people working in all these different programs. So information, it's, it's harder to kind of wangle out it through the wording, if you know what I mean. And, yeah. and and in our language as the UFO community is even changing because if you've noticed people have stopped saying things like aliens and extraterrestrials and now we're all starting to say things like non-human intelligence yeah 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 like we we don't know like like Jacques Vallée said if this turns out to be nothing but 
aliens coming from a long way to earth and I'm going to be really disappointed. Like this is something, <laughs> this is yeah. something else. So this is a non-human intelligence and that covers the gamut. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's not us, it's something significant. So that's what I was going to get to. So I think obviously that's we were, that's roughly kind of brought up to date. Would you agree with that now where we are? Um, yes. That last kind of documentation. So what was kind of going to touch on at the end is, so let's say, for example, as we talked about, like legacy programs do come forward and we start to get some information, obviously with stuff classified, but we'll get, let's say we get some information and then we find out that there is um, NHIs, non-human intelligence out there somewhere, um, or there's been contact. And But as I say, or let's say, right, they're real, they're here, or they've been here, um, or whatever. But as you said, for us, that generates so many different questions. So it generates questions in regards to, right, um, what have you known? Um, have you had any agreements with them? Um, who's been in contact with them? Are you in contact with them? Are they extraterrestrial? Um, where are they from? Is it, um, why is it other questions as well, which it links into as well? Why do other people, like abductions, experiencers, does it link into life after death? Is it a different dimension? Is it all, like, all the different things? So it's like when you, it's as you say, when you're trying to convince somebody um, in the population who's known to this field and you're drip feeding them maybe some part of the UFO or, or UAP um, topic and then you're turning and saying, well, it's linked to consciousness and it's linked to this and it's linked to that. And it's like, that's, that's a harder pill to swallow for some people. You know yeah. what I mean? But when, if you you follow the subject um, like I mean, like most of these do. You know I mean, you, you easily falls into all these different faucets, say, um, consciousness and life after death and different parts of the paranormal. You know what I mean, like you see, like Skinwalker Ranch is a kind of a good rendition of it because you, it does cover quite a lot of different um, anomalous phenomena, and it's easy to tie into that. You know what I mean? But I'm not just going to use that. I'm just using a kind of an analogy there, but. When you look at the experience of phenomena and stuff like that, it, it does link into all that type of stuff. It links into things where people have physical abductions, apparently, or they actually have like some type of astral abduction and and all these type of things. I mean, it, answers, it just opens up a whole new can of worms of questions. Um, I don't know what you think of that. <laughs> Um, I, I want to download. That's the one thing of the UFO uh, phenomena that I think would be the easiest one. And the best one is when people just say that they have information downloaded to them and they can understand things that they hadn't been exposed to in the past. That's the one for me. I don't want to have somebody show up in my room and take me. I just want to get <laughs> the information downloaded yeah. to me, non-contact. It's, I mean, the um, thing, the thing so, is, sorry, on you go real quick. Let, let me say this, like um, you're mentioning all the things that we are going to try to learn going forward. What, what I am most interested in as far as disclosure occurring and this is what do we learn about ourselves in the past? What kind of revelations are we going to have about this is what this actually represents, the story that's been handed down generation after generation. Now it makes sense because these people are these non-human intelligence intelligence has interacted with our our ancient ancestors yep. and the stories that have been generated from that encounter still exist today and then we'll be able to start putting the pieces together of what is the actual human story and how long has this 
interaction with the non-human intelligence been going on? So, it, I mean, that's the one to me. It's like, as we move forward, we're going to learn more about our past. It, it's, it's things like some off-the-cuff comments or breadcrumbs, for example, when you hear uh, Lula Zondo. It was like some of the kind of comments when he had some of the original um, conversations on podcasts, such as like um, talk, like the, um, theories of everything, and coming out with like the somber statement and things like that. And then maybe few maybe the conversation talking about going back to like 70,000 years ago and things encoded in DNA and then coming out with other things where like the like the three-bodied kind of problem book and other book you were talking about on Twitter online and, and quite a lot of the kind of things links in a I always say because like I follow the, the like I was saying reading the, the Bob Monroe books and things like that about astro and stuff and for everything that he says it links into quite a lot of stuff that they say and it's, it's funny as well when you you hear some of the comments from like Gary Nolan and Gary Nolan, who you think he's um he's up to his knees in this as well. And and he comments quite a lot of the time on what, what if you found out that you were you were farmed or part of an experiment. And he, he said that numerous times. And I I find that quite a, a mad thing, but when the the whole Robert Monroe thing as well, they link that to that. And when you look you, at stuff like throws up on me. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Okay, you're back. You're back. Yeah. Yeah. So I was saying, like, so the whole kind of Robert Monroe thing, um, they talk about the farmed aspect. Um, Gary Nolan brings up the farm aspect a few times in some of the conversations he talks about. When you look at Dolores Cannon's stuff, and I'm just, I, I'm not saying I believe in every single one of these things, but when you look at different um, aspects, yeah, and they look at experiences and go back to past life regression and, and things like that, it kind of links into some of that kind of stuff as well, about why they're here and all that, and there's different... Um, different kind of um, entities here for different reasons. Um, some being here for the start, some being here to help, some being here just for experiments and different things. And it's like, uh, that's kind of the Dolores Cannon kind of side there. But it's just, obviously, you, you you take bits of that, what you kind of believe or what you look at. When you start and tying some of these things up, you can see a pattern forming between some bits. You know what I mean? But might be right, might be wrong, but I just think there's there's going to be so many questions after, right? Nuts and bolts, they're here, it's this, right? But then what about this? <laughs> what about that? What about that? So we'll yeah. be sitting writing a long list of questions. I mean, we we'll already have them written out the time they, they come out and say they're, they're here or whatever. So, yeah, aye. So, interesting times. Yeah, definitely. Greatest show on earth, man. People are missing <laughs> it. <laughs> Well, listen, I've, I've took a good bit of your time and I, I do appreciate you coming on and spending time and having a good chat. And as I said, good to get you on because you, you've got a, a good, concise um, way talking about the, the topic and, and going through all the the parts of the story and stuff like that, I mean, which is still unravelling. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's really good. You know I mean, so. And if, and if you watch any of my short videos, there's always references to documents and other things that will help you educate yourself it'll it'll give you a map to find other information that you can research on your own instead of trying to figure it out from from yourself there's a lot of resources they're very confusing overwhelming so my little videos can help point you to the ones that are relevant to the particular nuanced topic that you're looking at uh, when when you're watching my video i definitely agree with that and if you want to tell the listeners where they can find your videos again and i'll put them in the show notes as well 
So I'm the fifth pillar of emphasis, and that is a nickname that I gave myself because of Lou Elizondo saying that there are five pillars of emphasis. One is governmental engagement. Uh, international engagement was another one, um, media engagement. But the fifth pillar of emphasis is engaging the masses. So that's when I, I gave myself that name so that I could, because I felt like I needed to do something to get off the couch and engage with the masses in some way, shape, or form. And I found out that TikTok was probably the easiest way for me to learn how to create content and reach a, a, a broad base of people that are not typically associated with the UFO topic. So I'm, I'm reaching a different demographic than tr I'm trying to leave the echo chamber by making my videos for TikTok um, for the next generation, for the broader audience. But if you are on TikTok, look me up at the fifth pillar of emphasis. If you're on YouTube, look me up at fifth pillar of emphasis. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, I'm Dan Warren at Hey Look Over There and Look is spelled L-U-K. Dan, you've been brilliant and I uh, totally appreciate your time and, and thanks for coming on tonight. Well, thank you for having me, man. Nice to meet you.